415 Stories is brought to you by Mobile Action. Make your ad business a success with world-class data. Sign up on mobileaction.co and apply the promo code 415 to get 15% off for any plan. Hello everyone, welcome to another great episode of 415 Stories. I'm your host Taha, we are having insightful chats with amazing founders and investors from Silicon Valley and the Bay Area. And as always, I have an amazing guest on the pod. He is a serial entrepreneur. He graduated from several top tier accelerators in Silicon Valley like Founder Institute, 500 Startups and StartX to name a few. And his latest company is RemoteTeam.com and it's an all-in-one remote operation software for startups and companies working remotely. Today, Shahim Boydash is with me on the pod today. Hi, Shahim. Welcome to pod. Yeah, thank you very much. for Thank you very much for having me. I like your podcast, actually. You have great, great, great guests. So I'm very happy to be one of them. Sure. Thanks for joining me today. So we have a lot to talk today, but first things first, I would like to learn how it all started. So you founded three companies and made an exit from all three of them. But what was the beginning? Like, what were you doing when you were in college or after you graduated? Can you tell me the whole story? <laughs> so actually, I have more startups, but I only tell people the Silicon Valley ones, not the before, right? So this is this is very funny. I was born in... Boston, um, and my mother and my father, uh, my father studied in MIT, and my mother and father met in Boston, and we moved back to Turkey when I was very, very young, like six years old. So I was very lucky because I had a computer. Like, think about it, like in in 87, like which was 23 years ago, I had a computer, which like, uh, and my father sort sort of no software engineering. I remember myself, uh, even in the primary school or in the kindergarten, I can sort of change codes. Like I cannot write a code, but I can change codes. So I had a crazy early adapter advantage when it comes to the software, and I was a big gamer. So and at that time. It's very rare that people might remember we had things like BBS. So it's not the internet. You connect with your modem and you can download um, computer games. And I was reselling these computer games. I started like that and then built computers, built networks like Dell model. Actually, we were doing a lot of OEM. This is when I was in high school. So I was really making good money in high school, like really, really good money. And then... I remember I was like 16 or 17 years old, e-commerce were booming. And I always have the idea of um, having uh, whatever works in other countries, apply it in Turkey in a Turkish way. So I get, uh, I was starting to build e-commerce website and the first e-commerce website in 99, it was Jeptikian. And uh, I yeah, it was Jeptikian. And we built one of the first e-commerce websites in Turkey uh, that sells second-hand, first-hand phones. And this is very funny. I got my first angel investment there. It was fifty thousand dollar, but for ninety-five percent of the for ninety percent of the company. <laughs> and the fun, the story is very funny. Like I remember, 
we had a place called Kadıköy in Turkey that they had a lot of phone stores. And we were going to each phone store and telling people that we're going to sell phones online. Can you provide us some phones? And nobody say yes. They even people say, what's internet? What is website, right? And then we randomly saw a guy, like it was our last, I think I spent like three, four days knocking doors. And then the guy said, ah, actually I believe in internet. <laughs> I believe that the web might be big. I believe that like we might some people from other states, other cities can order phones, right? So I want to invest in this business. I want to give you guys $50,000. But think about it. You are like 16, 17 year old boy before university, like $50,000 is like life changing, right? It's like insane money. So there was no concept of angel investing at that time, right? In my, in, at least in, in a third world country like Turkey, there's, there's nothing. So... So we had the company, we made him like shareholder and I did that business for four or five years. And then because of that, um, then we had a lot of problems. His, his company that providing phones sort of go to bankruptcy. And then we actually didn't go out and find another company, but we were, we had a very good brand to be honest at that time. So we decided that we will not continue without him. So I was sort of loyal to my shareholders, like, I don't think, um, if one share, shareholder leaves, like, I will not, I will just say bye-bye team and continue right now. But at that time, I was like very young, like going to the university times. And <clears throat> at that time, uh, I hit a lot of software in this, like building a commerce website, having the logistic and having invoicing uh, B2B side, like supply, wholesale prices and everything. So there was a huge software behind it. And I wrote all of it hundred percent. One person actually, I wrote it. Uh, I start to sell the, after this company bankrupt, I start to sell, uh, that software to companies with a seed model and the seed model was minor. Exactly. It's early accounting with a lot of calculations. So it was more like a QuickBooks plus e-commerce together. If I was doing this in US, it will be a billion dollar business, but I was doing it in Turkey. So I like some seats. I make good money. And the pricing I did was very interesting. I don't think Salesforce exists at that time or just ex exists. So I was doing one minimum wage. So the price was one minimum wage. It's like if at that time, the minimum wage in Turkey was, I remember it was like $200 something. It was $200 a month. And my thesis was for every seat, you are saving a minimum wage value. So a minimum wage was so cheap. So I had thousands of companies using it. A lot of companies. But then uh, I saw a huge opportunity in a very, very, very weird way. I was selling a lot of uh, vitamin importers. OTC products was allowed in Turkey at that time. OTC products is over-the-counter products, which is vitamins, proteins, uh, slimming products. It wasn't allowed before, right? And then at that time, this was 2005 or 6, 2005 or 2006. I'm trying to remember the exact dates. OTC products start to get allowed in Turkey. And then most of my customers were OTC products. So I start to see how much money that they are making. 
they were buying a vitamin for $3 and selling for $100. I was like, holy shit, this is like an amazing business. Like I need to be in that business. And because I was American citizen, I can always travel. So we decided to build a company called Vitamin uh, Trade LLT with one of my friends and import thousands of products to Turkey, build thousands of websites for anything you can imagine, like slim today, sketch slim today, like glue cellulite, like skincare tablets, whatever Google keyword is, we had a domain name, we have thousands of websites and we were doing a lot of good money. Uh, bootstrap, 100% bootstrap, no VC, nothing. It was really, really good business. Then I exit that. During that time, I was coming to US like all the time traveling and I see a phone for kids, a mobile phone for kids. And that was, oh my God, I said, this is amazing. And mobile phone was huge. And I already did a mobile phone e-commerce website. So I know all the suppliers, all the partners in that thing. And I had two co-founders there. And then uh, we sort of um, have a phone, build a phone and uh, sell that phone in Turkey. Uh, come to America, get a big distributorship in Turkey and find a big distributor in Turkey. And then at the end of it, they bought the company, all the shares, and then they continue to sell the phones. And we sold, this was, I think, 2008 or 2007. Yeah, yeah. It's like I kept Dukyan for four years, then Vitamin for two, three years, and then this is two years. And then... Uh, my last company in Turkey was an e-commerce. I was an e-commerce background guy, to be honest. Like e-commerce is my bread and butter. Uh, and that company was, I had a very good friend, my my mom's friend. And we saw a company called Nataporte in England. They sell luxury brands, like very high luxury, like very expensive e-commerce products and like very expensive jeans. And... It was a crazy idea, like, will people buy expensive clothing online? Like, at that time, it was no. <laughs> it was very difficult business. So then we built this company called White Box by Askutu. And then um, this was my third company, fourth company in Turkey, Istanbul. Then I realized that, like, I had so many good ideas and all of them become unicorn in Silicon Valley. And then I... Uh, sell my shares and then it exit to a company called Damsa in Turkey. And then I decided like, I, I want to move back to Silicon Valley. I want to move back to US where I actually was born. And I really love California. I, my heart beats there. Um, I actually planning to go there for many, many, many years. But I always say I have this business. Let me finish this. I will go later. Let me finish this. Let me exit this, but never end it. So I was constantly delaying my coming to U.S. for like 10 years. So, and then in 2012, I actually exited the Bayasco to travel the world for one year. Um, and then one year, one and a half year, I went to Ukraine, Europe, uh, Thailand. I spent a lot of time traveling. And then I actually moved to Silicon Valley in um, 2012. So it was my 10th, 8th year and ninth year right now. So after all these years in Turkey, then you found yourself in Silicon Valley. 
and then what happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, in, in Turkey, when I sold my last company, I had some money. And I always like stay hungry, stay foolish. I had a little money actually mm-hmm. for that. And I said, okay, I want to spend all of it. Traveling. So this was not actually like it came from the bottom situation. Like in Silicon Valley, when I moved to Silicon Valley, I had $5,000 in my bank account. Seriously. Okay. I had $5,000 in my bank account. It is but actually starting from the bottom. Yeah. In Silicon Valley, yes. But I spent, like, I lived a jet setter, five star. Ferrari lifestyle before I moved to Silicon Valley for a year. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, I had a good exit. I had some money. Like I spent ridiculous amount of money. <laughs> it's just, it's just, and it was like, really like from like, I remember like we had, a, I had a friend in Belgium. I said, okay, let's go to Italy, right? Como. And then we just like <laughs> so went to best. all the money from your exits before you come to San Francisco. I I give money to my mom, my father. Like I give money to my family, a lot of money to my family. Uh, I do some, um, I like, I give away a lot of money, like to good things. Like I I still, I I have places in Turkey that like nobody knows it's mine, but I have it like, you know, like I... Okay, yeah, okay. I, you're gonna I tell a, me after the records. Okay. <laughs> so I have a I have a fountain in Turkey. You know, like fountains are like wow. I had a school. Yeah, yeah. These kind <laughs> it's of it's a big things deal. Are, wow. Nobody knows it. Even the people in the school. I don't need that. So then I, I had a lot of too. I spent ridiculous amount of money. I I stayed in five stars, and I see it's so useless. Um, I I have very good friends in Switzerland. They were super rich and even hanging with them was crazy. So I had to burn a lot of money, spend a lot of money. But it was good because like when you do it, when you are lucky enough to do it before your uh, 35, 30s, then you can really dedicate on what you really want to do because you have no, this. like you I really see the top, like this is it. Like, okay, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't care. I don't need to buy anything. I don't need a jet. So I just want to be a maker. I want to build great things for the world, change the world. So I had very that early um, thing in my life. And I think one of the big reasons I have that, so I spend a lot of time in Ukraine. I really live like, okay, what is the, a guy like me can get most. And then I was in Thailand. And in Thailand, I realized that with a very small amount of money, you can live in the best, in one of the best natural place in the world. And you don't need a lot of money. So I, um, I always say for body, go to Ukraine. For uh, life and life expectancy, go to mm-hmm. Thailand. And if you want anything spiritual, go to Peru and Costa Rica. I did all of it, right? So then you, you, have, you, you have less anxiety, less fear in life, less worry in life, right? So I have that huge advantage in life that... Um, I really, really, really lucky that I never care material things and really work on the things that I like to bring value to the people. And then when I moved to Silicon Valley, I, had, I only know one friend from my college, Salchuk. He was the only person I know. And the then I had, branch, right? Yes, 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 yes. And then oh. we stayed with him for a time, like two years, and I only had $5,000 in my bank account. So we had magic there. So... I 
for a year, I went to meetups to eat food. Like I didn't spend any money on food. <laughs> so Silicon Valley meetups were amazing. It's a common situation for entrepreneurs in there. Exactly, exactly. And then with Salchuk, it was so difficult to rent a place. So Salchuk, had, uh, Salchuk and I saved the money, collect the money. And then we rent a place and rented out some of our rooms so we can decrease mm-hmm. the rent cost like crazy. We did that. Um, we were living in Panhandle in Nopa in Bay Area in San Francisco for like three, four years. And then I always love movie trailers. Like movie trailers was mm-hmm. my passion. Movie marketing was my passion. But in other countries, there's no way you can do that, right? So I decided like I want to do something around movies, like movie marketing, movies, and I never liked IMDb. I never liked Fandango. I never liked Flickster. I said, and that time social networks was sort of hot. Uh, like I said, why I cannot build a social network around upcoming movies? Not the old movies, but upcoming movies. Because where Hollywood spends their most money is on upcoming movies. Like if there's an Avenger coming, they are sending $200 million to market that movie. Or if there's a movie that they are making for $100 million, they are spending another $100 million to market that movie. Mm-hmm. So I decided, okay, I want to do something around movies. And I was nobody in Silicon Valley. Still, I am nobody, but like I was really nobody. Then uh, my friend told me I have to go to Founder Institute. And then I find that there was another Turkish person, Adam Bali. I reached out to him wow. and he referenced me to uh, Founder Institute. He said, you have to go to Founder Institute. And if you're going to do something related to movies, you need to find an American co-founder. And actually, at that time, I, with very weird luck, I find my co-founder. She's from Yale University and very, very good founder that we started this idea, make this idea prettier. But I never forgot what she told me. Shine, like, you never been to L.A. Like you have no connection to LA. Like you don't know anybody in LA and you cannot even speak English. <laughs> I think about this 10 years ago. So uh, like, there's no way you will be successful. I said, fine, but I will still want to do it. And then, oh boy, like we cooperated movie Lala. We had amazing investors like CF of Disney, Felix, their investor, Mark Benerov at the Salesforce CEO, uh, one of the uh-huh. biggest names in Bay Area. We have like ex-president of HBO, American Online, amazing investors because everyone knows this is a huge problem and we might be the right solution for it. And then we had, at the end of four years, I did that business for a very long time. We reached like millions of downloads, but I realized that Silicon Valley top tier VCs really don't like entertainment companies because they invest in so because it's not for them they think it's um for for them it is very enterprise very siloed mm-hmm. very uh, la driven like you really need to be in the la scene to be successful there and they are not very like innovative they are so innovative and smart in marketing but that idea comes from the ad agencies like it's nearly impossible for a tech company going there and getting ads dollar if you are not Facebook Twitter. Okay, it's mm-hmm. like nearly impossible. And they are so demanding. So what we did, an unbelievable technology, we patented this technology actually. We did a patent pending. Uh, it was 
when you watch a movie trailer, at the end of the movie trailer, you see a black screen, right? This was like eight years ago. Now it's YouTube boxes. Now it's okay. Mm. But we build a call to action at the end of the black screen saying that follow Brad Pitt, get me, get notified if there's a movie trailer, get notified when the movie's out, get notified when you can buy tickets. Nobody built this call to action technology. So we built this call to action technology in our app on also uh, movie studios' websites. So when you go to movie video website like Terminator, like we had our video player there. And that was a huge success because we end up working with Terminator, Mission Impossible, La La Land, and a lot of movies like the Power Rangers. Wow. And it was a huge success. And we were charging them. Like we were making money. But uh, we couldn't make Silicon Valley investors after seed to believe that this is a Series A company and mm-hmm. uh, so we had a, a partnership with Tango, chat app. We were running their uh, thing. And there was someone in Tango become the CEO of GiffyCat. And we, he bought our MovieLala. GiffyCat bought our company, MovieLala. Um, and then we actually exit to GiffyCat. And then they use that gift technology and movie marketing technology and get some movie deals out of it. Yeah. And then they sold cool. it to another big company but they didn't make it public yet. So indirectly, so, I sold it to every company. <laughs> this is an exit. And then you founded another company called, I think, Leo AR, right? No, no, what, this is very interesting. Yeah, yeah, this is more interesting. So in Tango, we saw that people are really communicated with stickers and emojis. Mm-hmm. So we actually founded a company called Moji Lala. The name is very similar, Lala. Movie Lala, Moji Lala. A lot of people think it's the same company, but they have no single relationship. We closed Movie Lala, that was done, and then we built Moji Lala, and it was a totally different company, nothing related to Hollywood. And we built a sticker marketplace. And that was like, um, like there was 3D, 2D designers with stickers, and we are distributing it in our apps on in other platforms. And we actually one time... Uh, we reach like 300 million sticker impressions a day. Like we are sort of mm-hmm. become the other than line, biggest sticker marketplace. And that go to an MA situation. And then we said, okay, if this is going to an MA, and then it, it didn't, it fell out, it didn't finalize. And then at that time, we had something that we patented. Uh, we apply for a patent. That's the right way to say it. It's when you open your camera, we are detecting where you are. Let's say if you are in a forest, we want to suggest you bird stickers. And then mm-hmm. we actually start to do, okay, other than 2D stickers, what we can do there, like 3D stickers, right? And mm-hmm. we were, have a great relationship with Apple. We have one of the biggest sticker publisher in iMessage. And then we start to do 3D stickers. And then we are a little bit early, like one year early on that. And then Apple launched ARKit. And we this take was that. around 2013, 14, uh, around that? No, no, no. ARKit was 2017 or, yeah, 2018. Oh, okay. So this is yeah, a, a little bit late than the other company then. Okay. Yes, 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 yes. Like we had MovieLala finished in 2016 and then we built MojiLala to until 2018. And this was 2018 time ARKit come. Mm-hmm. And then we actually named the company as Surreal. Okay. That's Surreal. Surreal. All so right. real. The first and TechCrunch 
If you go to TechCrunch, it says Surreal launched. But then an LA company, LA studio, sent us a copyright infringement thing, like this thick, like pages, <laughs> like 500 pages. They say Surreal is our name. You cannot use it. And they weren't even using it. They were just like, you know, classical being an entertainment company. And then Surreal was the name, actually. And uh, we were building a very simple augmented reality experience that, like, you have all thousands of objects. You can, like, drag and drop objects, and you can mm-hmm. really create a beautiful video with augmented reality objects on it because the vision we have there is, like, now every photo is filtered. Every photo is not real, sort of, right? It's filtered. Every video in the future will be augmented. And when we have the glasses, when we enter a room, we want to show you different scenes in that room. So or when you are walking, you want to say, I want to see the UFO world. I want to see green floors. I want to see green trees around me in San Francisco, right? Uh, or when you are walking near a sea or a beach, we want to show you flying whales, So to Mm -hmm. build that, we said it's so far ahead, we can't build it. So let's build a very basic version of it that like people just drop and drop objects and record things. Okay. Okay, This was for the end user, right? This wasn't for like any integration or something. No. Okay. No. There's this company called Leo AR. And uh, so Leo AR and Mojilala is the same company, uh, but just two different brands. So it's like Mm -hmm. more like just two different brands. And uh, I do that company until 2019 summer. Okay. So yeah. this was around you started your latest company. Yes. This is, this is, so, but it's like Mojula is one company, but we separated, we are separating in, they're going to separate into two companies, two different brands. Mm-hmm. And there's LLCs and one Inc. Because, like I think both will have an exit really, really soon or in the next two, three, because there's a lot of interest. It's like crazy amount of interest for both companies because stickers are so big and mm-hmm. we are the biggest sticker company. It's very funny. Kifi is our investor, was our investor in Mojilala and Facebook bought Kifi, right? So Facebook so technically, is in the yeah. <laughs> yeah, Facebook is our in our cap table, right? It's, <laughs> so it's, Got it's it. very so, funny. So why, why did you leave the company then? So that's very good because I was in Stanford Stardex and uh, the team was executing great enough. And I had a huge, uh, I, I, I had a place in Costa Rica uh, that I regularly go like once a year. And I had the uh, ceremonies, ayahuasca ceremonies or shamanic ceremonies. But for the crowd is ayahuasca ceremonies, right? So everyone knows it. So I actually saw a vision of the remote world. Like when the world is remote, mm-hmm. And I had before it was very cool. Yeah. No, it was sort of getting cool. It was sort of getting cool. And I had remote companies all of my life. Like even my first company is 99. I never had an office. I seriously never had an office address. Uh, In my one big e-commerce company, we had an office, but I was never going to the office. Uh, And my co-founders always hated that. And uh, one time in Vitamin, I was, we had sort of an office, but the office was very cold. I rarely go to that office. So I have never, I always work remotely in my life. Like this is for... Was it because about, of the 
team was distributed around the world or you just didn't like it? Like what, what was the I, motivation I, of that? You I, didn't like it. This was, think about it, 99. So it was nearly 30 years ago, right? No, 20 years ago. And I had a weird idea of, you know, when in our society we punish people, we send them to prison for a limited time, right? Prison is limited time. You go there for a day, you go there for a year, or you go there all of your life, right? And actually, if you go to prison, government pays you, by the way. There's a very weird thing. You get paid for being in prison. Um, I always think of this as the prison of the mind. I always, because in this industrial revolution, they created a concept called eight-hour work day, which is eight-hour work, eight-hour sleep, and eight-hour families and friends, right? Eight our social life. And this was a concept created by industrial revolution in England. Like if you Google, if you Wikipedia, mm -hmm. let's say Wikipedia tells us the truth, but if you search Wikipedia, you will see the history of eight hour day, right? Which is, I don't believe in our history. I don't have the data. I didn't do the scientific research, but I don't think humans are meant to work linearly for eight hours a day. I don't think we meant to do that, but because of industrial evolution, we had the corporate America, corporate skyscrapers. We had this weird mindset that we have to go somewhere to work, right? Mm -hmm. I, I always had weird feelings about it. I never liked it. I always find it very bad for the creativity. Uh, so I never liked it. Like I never believed that People are doing better work. And when you really find people, even I remember like when we only had weird chat tools, we didn't have Slack, right? Like we were chatting in Visual Studio. We were chatting with ICQ. I was running my business through ICQ actually. And I had engineers from Ukraine, engineers from Turkey, engineers from Bulgaria. Like I had a remote team like 20 years ago. So I actually never had an official office team in my life. All of my team were always mm -hmm. remote. So, and so I had an insane experience how to make remote thing work actually. But in Silicon Valley, I remember Movilala was remote, Mozilla is, is remote, Leo is remote. Like when I was talking investors about remote work and remote team, like even I have very smart investors, were great investors. They were constantly telling me that remote uh, work will never work. Like they seriously mm -hmm. told me this. Like, like we don't believe in remote remote work. You have to have a, a local team. You're gonna get hired because of your local team. So you should have a local. But this team. is something like special to San Francisco, just because like people in there really believes that if you want to achieve something great, you want to you you have to gather all the people in your company in one place and you know work harder and hustle it and you can do something better but after the COVID I think things changed right so yes of course that's that's a good way uh, so I think that's coming from a very Steve Jobs analogy Steve Jobs said he has a story that tells everyone like when you put the rocks the rocks in a bad shape but when they hit each other they just like get so shiny and like perfect mm. surface so, and he says, when you put people and when the ideas bounce, you really get the best shiny idea. 
And it was sort of coming from that Silicon Valley concept that like when people coming together, talking together, walking together, spending time together, and you put these very smart people in the same room, they come up with this idea, like let's sit down in a garage, work like crazy hours, and everyone is so unique, so smart. And the collective of these smart people are really building some super cool things. Um, but I think that vision of Silicon Valley for a, international foreigner sort of doesn't exist <laughs> because like you don't have a friend from Stanford that you're going to go there and sit in a couch or sit in a, that, that vision is, I sort of believe for 90% for the local people in, who grow up in Silicon Valley and friends in Silicon Valley, like for a pair's people sort of out of Silicon Valley, didn't go to a school in Silicon Valley that's really not a super case that exists. Yeah, because um, everybody knows everybody. Like they grew up in the same neighborhood in Palo Alto, yeah. and yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. W- one of the sisters in a you know venture capital firm, the other is a reporter at TechCrunch, another is an entrepreneur. They exactly. they do business together. It's a collective thing in here. It's it's proximity effect. It's there's nothing weird about it. It's so normal, right? And you go to same high school. All of this, like if you go to, let's say, the Anza High School or like some community high school or mm-hmm. you go to Sacred Heart, all of your friends are half of them going to Stanford, half of them going to San Jose State College, right? And it's really, it's really like that. So, uh, but I built my network. I think that the way I look at it is I want to be in Silicon Valley. I will be here for 40 years and like, I sort of believe in the Jeff Bozos model. Like once you really think your company will be there for 40 years, it will give you a little bit of relaxation. So I think that I will be, I will probably do multiple startups, multiple unicorns, I hope. Um, the, 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 I always believe in that. And uh, I always look at in a, I might not be in successful in my first company or second company or third company, but I will definitely be successful on my fourth company or fifth company. I look at it as more like a learning, less hustle all of our life. And now we will have great successes because it's very, Silicon Valley is always playbook driven. Like you have the methodologies, yes. you have the playbooks, take that playbooks, apply it to your companies and if you can really apply it in a cool way, even if it's okay where you apply it, then you customize it for yourself and then you create your own playbook and then grow, right? And uh, Silicon Valley from VCs to the startups is always big success, always playbook driven. Uh, that's why you see the top tier VCs that did many, many IPOs, right? But if you go to a second level, uh, not the top tier VC. They have good investments, but never at the IPO. That there's a huge uh, difference between that because um, it's really playbook and playbook equals someone wrote that experience in a digestible format, right? So this really playbook driven. And uh, I realized this Stanford Stardex. I had a lot of accelerators. I went to 500 startups, Founder Institute. Uh, Quake Accelerator, Betaworks, all cool ones, right? Mm-hmm. And then Stanford Stardex. So was, why why didn't you do YC though? I applied to YC many times, but I, so I my ideas it. I get always rejected. Uh, I I think I applied since two thousand twelve, 
uh, I I got rejected every semester. Like think about how many times I rejected. But I don't think Movilala was a YC idea. Like they don't they will not take Movilala as a YC idea or. Uh, Mojilala, the sticker marketplace is not a YC. It doesn't mean it will not be a great company. Not every YC, even in the YC, most companies don't do great, right? Yeah. Some it's sort of survival of the fittest in YC, and mm-hmm. it, it's it's an unbelievable, amazing community. I love YC community. It's the best, one of the best community, um, but it always favors, I believe, very successful companies there. But Stanford Stardex, when you compare Stanford, Stanford Stardex is more like a community and they don't care that there is one winner. They just want to scale the multiple winners. Uh, so it's a very different community. And cool. I, oh my God, I'm obsessed with Stanford Stardex and they don't take any equity. That's the very interesting part. Ah. So they don't take any equity. Yeah. And do they the fund the company is, or? Sorry? No, they don't. Do they give fund funding. your company? They don't. Okay. They don't do. They don't give funding, but they give a great network, and I think that network can be more useful than. And I think this is what Stanford Stardex says: their companies averagely raise two point four percent more than any other top tier accelerator. So it means that they have. So the things that I learned there, Silicon Valley is very SaaS driven. Software as a service. It's really not very consumer or e-commerce that I came from, right? I came from an e-commerce background and did consumer products in Silicon Valley. Then I realized after eight years, after seven years, this is really not the great thing. And I realized something that the Silicon Valley timing is absolutely crucial on the things. Like there is a concept called a thesis-driven investment. So when you hit the thesis of VCs that they believe this will be a big idea, like the VCs comes to you. It's so weird. Like you really don't need to go out because I also, this very crazy number with my co-founder, we talked with 500 investors and she even wrote an article in Entrepreneur Magazine. 500, all in Silicon Valley. All in Silicon, yeah, LA too, LA and New York too. But uh it's it's an article like she's but at that time it was four hundred so she said four hundred investors and we raised from like fifty to sixty investors not a bad ten percent it wasn't a bad how, uh, how much have you raised in total in my life no I mean like for just that company a movie Lala was two point three and Mojilala mm-hmm. is something like two more than three I think something like that. Like, so total How many you raised in total in your lifetime? And plus to that $50,000 who <laughs> the guy gave you in, the, in your first <laughs> That's a good This question, counts, right? right? I mean. This counts. Yeah, I had to count it. I think I, I reached, I passing five, but I never did the A. So it will be my. Oh, so it, my, this was all seed. All seed. So then it's a lot, right, as a seed. But this is also, now the rounds are getting crazier. Mm-hmm. So I think in the remote team, because the timing is great. So I was at a vision of remote team and I was sitting in a Stanford Stardex, uh, like a meeting, meetup, and nearly everyone was international. And everyone is asking, like, how will I hire someone in Germany? How will I pay a contractor? And I hit these big things and I said, oh my God, like, uh, remote work is here 
and it, it's going to be huge. And I really like, and I know this thing and I want to help startups more because I always a consumer guy in my life. I said, like, I just want to have like a thousand great startups or 10,000 great startups in our platform and really build something crucial. And I realized that I can really help a lot of startups going remote because mm-hmm. remote is in my DNA. Like I'm probably doing remote more than nearly anyone you can ever met. It's like 20 years of remote work, right? It's insane. Like it's it's not even believable when I say this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I said, okay, I, I can really build this. Um, and then I had a good engineers. Um, I reached out to one of my top engineers and he's the CTO, Adam. And then we actually built... And uh, we launched, we cooperate in October. So it's like closing to one year. October 19, right? No, 19, yeah. Okay. And then around February time, we did a, a sort of a soft launch in Product Hunt before COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then sort of COVID, right? February is like COVID. Month. Yeah, I mean, like, like how was it real or? Was yeah, 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 yeah. People are still, I think, in February, not sure COVID was real or not. Actually, like, when we were talking, when I was in SF, that there were events, and this was, there was actually one event, especially in remote uh, working or something, and you were, I think, friends of the sponsor or something, we, yes. you know, said we can meet there. There were still event, yeah. events, like, even if, I remember that, and recent harvest. March time, right? What's that? It, was it in March time or something or April? Yeah, right? yeah. Before? It, <laughs> yeah, it was. And I remember that in recent Horowitz building, uh, they put a label on the building door saying that no handshake, please. And people like on Twitter, I'm saying, seeing all the people saying things like, wow, what is this now? You're, you're the biggest VC in Silicon Valley and you are now doing things like that. And even though anybody was seeing that coming, so yeah, nobody sees. Yeah, really the, the, the thing is, uh, there was Security National Council. Like everyone should follow that think tank group. It's a great think tank group. They are geniuses. Uh, they were talking about pandemics. Like there can be a pandemic, and but their reasoning was not a conspiracy theory. More like a, a humanity is going really fast on genetic engineering, virology. So you can build a virology lab for a million dollars right now. And then mm-hmm. so many people are going to do research in virology and some idiots will do some stupid things and then blow up the whole. Uh, and they were really coming from this and they were saying that there might be really a pandemic in 2025. And there was a lot of, a lot of, a lot of the works in a lot of think tank, the reason is because people are very close to each other. We have thousands of travels, right? Every single day. I don't know how many flights we have, right? The world is super interconnected. And as a risk management, if you are an insurance company or a big company or United Nations, you have to constantly think about these things, right? What if there is a pandemic happens, right? So, but my vision was more like, I believe five things happened that made us remote before COVID. I was betting on these things. The first one is in Silicon Valley, I remember 500 startups, 
Stanford StartX, the founders are becoming international. And mm-hmm. a lot of new unicorns are built by first-generation immigrants or international people, like Brex credit card, right? It was two young guys from, I think, South America, right? There are so many cool unicorns yeah. that is actually built by international people, number one. Second thing that I believed was uh, 5G is will be a life-changing for us because it will be like old phones to mobile phones. When we have 5G, we have internet everywhere, like absolutely everywhere. Like we will have, like you're going to open your computer and you have connected connectivity at that time. If you go to Costa Rica or if you go to um, anywhere in US, right? So that 5G and think about it, we have connectivity in our phones. We have connectivity in our iPads, but it's a huge computer. We don't have connectivity. It's like absurd, right? It's stupid, mm-hmm. stupid not to have 5G, 4, 4G in the computer. It's like unbelievable crazy, right? And I never understand why they are that idiot. So I think with this Apple Silicon, they're going to put A12 or A14 chip in it. And they're going to put a 5G or 4G this year or next year. So I definitely believe that we will have 5G connectivity. And then when you open your computer, you have instant internet with a high quality camera, with more global uh, data plans that anywhere, anywhere, you can have instant high speed connectivity. I was really betting on that. And then there is something that nobody is talking about, and I think it's huge. We are living in an era that a lot of things around us is built by people who had no idea before they are building it, right? They had no idea, like you are starting a podcast, but you are not a radio host, right? Mm -hmm. Airbnb guys weren't hotel guys. Uber wasn't a taxi driver, right? So things are built by So they didn't have the prior experience or expertise to build a company. Yes, yes. Build a company, yes, but not in that idea. And in my life, every single idea I have, I had no idea. Like I was always like, I'm going to build this. Like I never build an e-commerce website. I never build an accounting software. I never build a phone. I never build a luxury brand. I never like, it's always like, I never build a social network around movies. So it's always like, I had no idea I want to build this, right? Now I'm doing something more crazy. After 20 years of experience, I'm moving to B2B, which is totally Mm -hmm. different than all of my 20 years experience. So Silicon Valley is really American dream on steroids, if you think about it, it's so weird. It's really an American dream on steroids that in a short, magical short time, you can build a very influential company and people, thousands of people get rich out of that thing that you built. It creates thousands of jobs and it influences millions of people. Like this doesn't exist any single location on the planet Earth, right? So... Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe that uh, the reason for this is self-taught. So Silicon Valley realized that, I believe, uh, self-taught engineering, self-taught, like you can now go and learn to do something in a very, very fast way. Everyone can do yeah, that, right? So, so what happens is you are an international founder, you come to this country, you raise, let's say, a million dollars on a YC demo day, and then you want to have engineers, right? In the old days, the main engineers were in Silicon Valley, 
but because of open source and self-taught, people were learning how to be a great engineers in other places of the world. And there's amazing mm-hmm. engineers in other places because they know, of, like they go to virtual boot camps, they follow the open source community. So I believe because of the engineering, because of the open source, because of the self-taught, because of open source computer science, uh, um, which is OSS, um, open source university, like thousands of people around the world become a coder that can build something remotely, right? And I think the fourth and the fourth big thing was, I think it was the fifth, sorry, the fifth big thing I believe was uh, we start to see a lot of remote companies like Envision, GitLab, right? And many more. So uh, Zapier, because they, mm-hmm. they decide, okay, we can build a huge, great engineering team outside of Silicon Valley. And they are as good as Silicon Valley people, right? And because of all of these combined, I think the remote trend was sort of becoming a trend. Sort of that in from the investors' eyes is they start to say this can really work because they start to see companies like Cloudflare, like I don't know, but it was like 50% remote. Like there's an IPO companies wow. are doing IPO. They are like insanely remote companies, right? So they start to believe, I think the investors believe that it's really possible with great leadership, you can really build a remote company. And I so they actually this- started funding companies who are remote. And yeah, like this Z- norm Zapier. started to cracking. Yeah. Yes, this norm I think started to crack uh, during the Slack time, which was I think 2018. Like this was like Zapier okay. was one of the first one. To do East, to do East was one of the first one, hundred percent remote. Envision was a hundred percent remote company. Zapier was a hundred percent remote company. Uh, Basecamp was one of the first ones yeah. in the world. Yeah, they were. Uh, and he wrote a book. Forever. Yeah, they are remote forever, and they have a book, no office, right? So that was already starting. And as I said before, Silicon Valley is very playbook driven. And at that time, Silicon Valley prices are going crazy expensive, right? If you have, someone told me it's maybe correct or not correct. Like if you want to have an office in San Francisco for 100 people, the cost of a year is $40 million because of you pay San Francisco tax, all the crazy stuff. But if you want to do it in other states, it's 20, even the 10,000, 10 million or 20 million dollars, way, way, way lower, right? So, and think yeah. about intern founders are becoming international, so they can hire three great junior engineers uh, from their countries, right? From their countries, right? So, that I think perhaps start to happen like crazy in 2019, in 2018. I was really betting on that. And when the COVID hit, that the remote become a must, not good to have. So how did you first feel when you heard that all offices are, you know, closing, the world is going remote? Did you like kind of said, yeah, this is a good thing for the company? Or first you said, oh, there's a global pandemic out there. Like how was your first reaction to that? So when I, I, I think I have a video 
on like recorded video in 2019 wow. November time that I was saying the whole world will be removed. Uh, mm-hmm. And I was saying that this virus is not a virus that we should take uh, easy on it. Like this will be a serious thing, right? Because the world is so interconnected. It's not like, you know, in the past in Hong Kong, we had a coronavirus kind of pandemic, but it was very small. Like coronavirus is not a new, new virus. It's like um, there was multiple versions of coronavirus. But because the world is so interconnected right now, like any kind of small thing happening on a very small scale can be huge, right? And yeah. when I saw this, it's so sad that unfortunately so many people are dying, so many people are losing jobs. But I wish governments did act way faster, way smarter, way knowledgeable, take it way more serious. And I wish like nobody died. Uh, but I sort of believed from day one, this will be a big thing. Like, because mm-hmm. at that time, we had a very funny president called Trump, you know, in America, like probably every international people here. Like, Trump is a is a joke, right? If you think about it, like they, like, I, I, I don't understand this. You have NSA in your hand, you have CIA in your hand, and like you have all the Pentagon people in the world that you cannot like guess this virus is real or not. It's crazy to me. Like, or you cannot simulate, simulate this and do 10 X better than this actually. Um, so, uh yeah once let's pause this uh, okay so i have okay. the, the other deal okay just let me finish this when uh, 20 minutes so so okay we can part we can cut this idea right okay okay one so, second yeah all right cool sorry Tal. uh so the other thing was sort of when you look at the president i said there is no way this government is really a bunch of old people and idiots will make this thing, uh, like fix this thing. Like it will be a mess. Like I, I was 100% sure it will be a mess. And I believe, God bless, we didn't have a serious virus. This virus is deadly. This virus is bad. But can you imagine there is a virus that kills you faster with a high incubation period, right? Then we are all mm-hmm. like gone, like, and you know, um, but even it's a horrible thing for a lot of people. Um, this is very funny. I had COVID actually, and I was totally asymptomatic. Really? Yeah, yeah, I had COVID, and then I went to the test, and like at that in the early days of COVID, I went to a rapid test. Uh, the rapid test was negative, but then I go to lab test. And I was a positive, but I didn't have anything, like no symptoms, nothing. Mm-hmm. And then I stayed in home for 21 days. And then I tested again. I was negative. So I actually like talking from experience as well. And I have like a wife, three kids, grandma, two au pairs in the house. So I have a huge family. And all of them has tested, but we didn't have any, any symptoms. But I think there are so many people with a lot of, immune system problems, a lot of sick people, right, in the country, a lot of obese people, uh, a lot of people, like, it's very, very dangerous for a lot of people that 
like wearing a mask. It's very simple. Just wear it and we are 90% safe, right? Wash your hands. Like keep the social distancing. Like we, they are very simple things that like we should not even argue about it, right? They should just say, guys, yeah, like yeah. wearing mask, wear the mask. We believe it's working, but just wear it for other people. Doesn't matter what other people believe, right? It's simple. It's like a seatbelt, right? Can you argue that the seatbelt will not save anyone, <laughs> right? Just just wear it, right? Even you might not have an ex- accident, right? But it's just wear it. It's a law also, but wear it. It's very simple, right? But I believe that they will not do that. And I believe that it will be a mess and it will turn into a political mess. So I was really believe, and I actually told this to an investor in around uh, 2019 December, and they told me you are crazy sort of. And he told me many, many months later. So I was really didn't believe you. And I really believe at the end of this, I think we are going to have a great world. Like I am a super optimistic because I saw one possibility in ayahuasca in Costa Rica that when think about when we really work remotely, think about that. We don't need to go to Mm -hmm. cities. We can live in cheap homes, great homes. We can um, be more efficient. We don't need to do linear work anymore because eight hour work is built for factory workers. This is, this is very crazy. They build it in the industrial age to take people from the farming and to go into factories. It's not, 8-hour work is not our uh, design for humans, but we forget it over time. So non-linear work, asynchronous work, working from anywhere in the world, super connected world, that will change the world. Like we will be mm-hmm. at a way better world, more opportunities, because for the first time you see like three, four hundred people coming together, building an air ventilator in a very short time. There's people coming together, building companies wherever they are. It will increase diversity. It will increase inclusion. It will decrease discrimination. We will have different kind of, it will even like, I'm telling this to people right now, but it will even change capitalism. Like we will totally live a different world in 10 years because I believe the whole corporate America system is changing because you're going to see small remote companies destroying and taking market share from huge big corporations that designed to be in the old school business of let's have a building, let's bring people because why do you need someone in your office, right? Because I believe it's coming from trust. It's coming from weird mm-hmm. ego that the manager needs to see you in the office, right? And right now, if you look at people, some people can say they are isolated. There's problems. Yes, we need to solve how to work remotely, more efficiently, more happily. But we're going to solve all of it. Like we're definitely going to solve all of it. And the whole world will be a more happier place Because people will start to work and live wherever they want to live and wherever they want to work, right? And still making great money. And because of that, think about this. Tech is very remote. Fine. We are very remote. Mm -hmm. We we know the remote work. But you are talking about, like, we have companies in remote team. They are a web design agency in Tennessee, (laughs) or in Kansas, or not very tech hub, like New York, 
Bay Area, LA, right? Do you know what one guy told me? Like, I realized that if this remote thing is big, I can hire someone from Germany. I can hire someone from Mexico. I can hire someone from Africa. That's the point, right? right? That's the point. Then this guy will gonna go and hire someone from Africa. This guy gonna hire mm-hmm. someone from Mexico or India or in Philippines, right? And then because there is self-taught, there is high connectivity, like there will be really no difference between hiring someone in US and hiring someone from Mexico or from India, for Pakistan, for Philippines, or New Zealand, or Europe, right? Or Ukraine. So then we really gonna see, and I think there is something happened in the COVID that it is totally fundamentally different. And I think a crashing, cracking point of corporate American capitalism. In corporate American corporations, there is a concept called share value maximization. So I live with this. So I know this concept very well. So let's say you are building a, uh, let's say a power plant, but you're going to do like Roundup. Like it's a very bad product that also gives cancer to the people, but they still sell it because the fines that you're going to pay and people getting cancer and how much you're going to pay for the fines, the product is still profitable. So they still keep it that, right? So the human value and the environmental value is not really important. If you're going to pay out yourself, if you pay the fines, it's it's all about the, the shareholder maximization, right? The whole Fortune 500, all the top companies are built on shareholder maximization. There is companies like benefit corporations, which is more beneficial, but they are still corporations. But for the first time with COVID, Huge companies said that we don't care. Like Apple was one of them. Amazon was one of them. Big tech companies, one of them. Some companies with a lot of capital, good businesses were them. They say, we don't care in this quarter. We're going to make profit. We will not fire our people. We'll keep our people Mm -hmm. because people are more important to us. Okay. So for the first time in the last 20 years, that shareholder value, which is based on the ideology of cooperation, like in cooperation means a CEO needs always put shareholders as a first, right? That is changing. And think about this also. Uh, my first thing was when people are happier, they will not join random companies anymore. They don't need to join. They're already happy what, what they have, where they live. So the companies mm-hmm. need to become more beneficial to the people, more beneficial to the environment. And in a very, very, very weird way, it will be more difficult to hire people in the future. So then, then the companies totally need to transform and they're going to say, actually, we are a great company. We are human is the center, not like Wall Street shareholder value is the center. And COVID mm-hmm. will change this. The whole remote work in like 10, 20 years will change this, actually. This is what I really believe. So you have a big bet on the remote work. And I mean, like, I believe that, I mean, of course, for now we have to work remotely, but I think it's for a good reason that we are, you know, uh, working remotely. It's 
good for the people. It's good for the environment. It's good for, I don't know, like cities. People don't have to pay more, you know, kind of uh, values for their properties. It's all good. But I want to ask you how remote team really benefits in that context. Like, what do you do for the companies to better better work remotely? Yeah. So the vision of remote team is like the company says, I call it four pillars. So our job is to make companies more successful on remote. And what we said, operating remote companies, very difficult. We want to make that very easy. So our big mm-hmm. vision is hiring someone international should be one click. Like it's that simple. Even they are in Germany, even they are in Turkey, even they are in America, and they have to work in the best efficient way that they want to work for. If they want to work like whatever the work styles, it can be independent contractor, it can be you, your local entity there, it can be your you work through a outshore company or an engineering company like Topal or Andela, mm-hmm. or you want to work under a PEO. We want to support that in the payment side of the things like HR payroll side. I think which is a huge big problem. The second thing we are solving, okay, you hire these people then what is the small operational things that you need, like time offs, holidays, religious holidays, um, all the documents, announcement, all the HR operation things that you need. We want to give you these apps like time zone calculations, mm-hmm. all this. We have like 20 plus apps in our platform, like reimbursement. You have someone in um, in France that go to a uh, event or a restaurant or eat something that there's an expense to be built. And then the time tracking is really big in the world. Uh, US doesn't do a lot of time tracking for full-time employees, but in, as a contractor, time tracking is big and people, different people work with different time tracking tools. We actually are maybe the only one out there with integrated with 10 different tracking tools. So Mm -hmm. uh, because our goal is whatever the company is doing, and most companies in Silicon Valley have uh, people in U.S., uh, a lot of independent contractors, if they have resources, they can hire people fully locally. And if they have more resources, they have local entities in other countries or they have an outsource office there, right? Or they work with outsource companies. We want to support all these payments, all these people in one platform. And then... All the operational thing, we call it the HR apps. And now we are building something super cool on top of this called uh, App Store for remote teams. So this is all the apps you need to run a remote company. And we, the biggest problem I have, I'm growing. So I have 40 people in a remote team. And then like any time I add someone, I have to add them in Google. I have to add them in Notion. I have to add them in Google Drive, I have to add them in Calendar Lily, I have to add them in Figma, I have to if they are engineering GitLab, GitHub, all the like places, mm-hmm. right? We start to do this with one click now. And then you start to see wow. all the SaaS, yeah, so cool. We are launching this very, very soon. It's like publicly, it's the first time I'm saying this is App Store for remote teams. And then you get, now we have 50 apps in our platform. And the big vision there is, it's also sort of related to my life story, you know, I was in a lot of accelerators, right? Mm -hmm. When you are part of accelerators, you get a lot of perks. And these perks can be like AWS discount, Notion discount, 
Doku sign discount, crazy discounts. Some of them a million dollar worth of discounts. But think about you didn't go to these accelerators, right? But you are still a cool company, but you have no access to these perks, right? And I went to six accelerators or like, yeah, six accelerators. I know every single perk out there. Like when the company tells me, okay, I know that you guys are giving 90% <laughs> to uh, YC companies. You guys give 90% to this. I want 90%, right? I use all these perks all of my life. I rarely pay something, right? So I want to take that perk concept and give it to the successful remote companies. So we are actually building one of the biggest perk uh marketplace as well so when you are getting notion you can get their two thousand dollar credit uh, if you are getting it through our platform and with one click wow. you can add people that's yeah. so cool that's so cool and the last thing we are adding here is i think genius you know you subscribe to these companies and let's say you decided to cancel right even you cancel, you are worried that your credit card is there. You want to delete it. So we are actually with one click, you can replace it with our virtual cards. So if you want to cancel it with one click, you can cancel it as well. And then I also canceled a lot of service and big ones as well. They never want to pay your annual contracts. So you have to be aggressive to them. Like, guys, like I have these. Like, please pay my money back. I was, I made a mistake. I signed up for a year, but I only use for two years and they rarely refund you, right? But I have all the templates. So if someone signed up for a year and they- Does this ring a bell? There's a company called Do Not Pay. You know them? Yes, yes, yes. Do Not Pay for apps. Yeah. Yeah, Josh was actually on the pod too. And he told all the cool stuff like this. Yeah, Josh, I had to reach out to him. Someone wanted to introduce me to him. I totally forgot. I'm going to email that guy today and get the introduction to Josh. Yeah. So it's do not pay, but I believe SaaS companies should already do this, right? Make it easy to cancel, make it easy to add remove people. That whole seed idea, like I removed the seed from calendar. I removed the person from Calendarly. It's a great service, but they're still charging me for seven people. (laughs) <laughs> and they weren't nice about, okay, you have seven people. Can you like, you are not using this man, but they love to charge you. I'm so against this. I'm going to finish this craziness. And I'm going to do this very publicly. Like, so we're going to build an automated system. You can cancel it. If you remove someone, we will tell you. If you fire someone, we're going to show you all the apps that other people are using. Right? So, and we have other like this is the third pillar. The fourth pillar is about remote happiness. What is the other real interesting services that we can launch to make people more connected remotely? And we're going to have mm-hmm. that in the new year as well. So it's a big, huge platform. So I think it's like more like a Salesforce. Mark Menerov was my first investor. So I'm thinking like a big sale platform like Salesforce or QuickBooks that we're going to just constantly adding new service on top of it and be the biggest uh, remote enabling platform out there. Wow. I wish all the best for you and the company. So actually, mm. like before the interview, I prepared all those great questions, but I think we have a time shortage here. But, you know, let's let's do a second part in, you know, in the future. And we can talk a lot of about, you know, your advice to the startups, your yes, funny that, stories. Yeah. I know. 
I know a couple of them like you advertise in the highways in Silicon Valley, some kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, so we should talk about them. But for today, thanks for joining me. And it was a great yeah. chat. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for inviting me. You have a great podcast. And I love the name, like 415. It's only the local. It's our phone yeah, number, right? actually. Right? <laughs> so if someone do a 415 podcast and call, it's probably you, right? So it's such yeah. a good good name. Thank you so much. You have great people. I'm so honored to uh, be part of uh, 415 podcast. Uh, thank you so much for inviting me. Sure. And all right, we came to the end of this episode of 415 Stories. You can follow Shahin on Twitter and Instagram at S-A-H-I-N. It is Shahin. Please let me know what you think about the podcast via Twitter at 415 Stories. You can also subscribe to the newsletter on 415.substack.com. And thanks for listening. See you on the next episode.